ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, fellow Lushes. Come on in, pull up a bar stool, and enjoy some cocktails with dimples and the beard. I'd, I'd rather record 20 minutes too much than not record anything at all. And we can do a little intro, because tonight we have... We're, we're now, we've made our way to Hollywood, Hollywood director of film, new film out on Amazon Prime, Kindred. You could start that. A wonderful psychological thriller, I think you would call it. I think it gets lumped into horror, but it's not horror. It's more psychological thriller. Director is Adrian, and I hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, Leon. And he will be on with us shortly. Thanks for finishing my sentence, hype man. Boom. Awesome. I like the I liked the hype man part from from uh, the gorge. You probably didn't watch the episode, but I was, I I had to watch the whole thing when I edited it because I was like, okay, we were really kind of drunk for most of it, and maybe we said some stupid shit. So I thought I better. Which we did. No, not really. Not really. It was it wasn't bad. So I uh, I didn't edit anything out. So, other than the beginnings and the ends of all the segments, sure. So, no, we weren't as we weren't as cray cray as I thought we might be. So, all right, fair anyway. enough. Yeah. So, if you're listening to this one because you're like, they are interviewing a Hollywood director, they must be huge. We are. Go back and listen to the fun at the gorge episode because that was a fun episode. I think <laughs> I said in a little write up. I think that's probably my favorite episode we've done so, so far. So far, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a blast. I started watching it last night. Yeah, I mean it's. And then I like, why am I watching this? I got I got homework to do. I got homework to do, so I started. <clears throat> you got to do some looking into Adrian, and watched his documentary. Which one? Um, trafficked, trafficked, no more. Trafficked. Uh, you better let me pronounce that. I pretty much let you pronounce everything. Trafficked. There you go. Not trafficked. That's what I said. Trafficked. Things come out of my head. So, yeah, that's what... Yeah, don't... So this is all on that. How about you don't try and say Adrian's last name? Leon. <laughs> I got that. You got... What's his first name? Adrian. Okay, wow. Doing better. Leon. Yeah. Leon. Leon. The, prof- th- the Professional. I think. It's a great movie. Adrian Leon is in The Professional? Nothing to do with him. Hmm. The name of the movie is Leon. The Professional. Ever seen it? No. Highly recommend it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. It's called Leon the Professional? Yep. Like Leon uh, dot dot the Professional? Yep. Is it about a hitman? An it assa- is. An assassin? Yes. Okay. Let me guess. He catches feelings for somebody? Can't kill him? No. 
Um, it's got to be a moral crisis in there somewhere. Uh, Gary Oldman's in it. Crazy bad guy. Gary Oldman plays a good crazy bad guy. He's freaking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, like Gary Oldman. Over the top. Yeah, so no, it's, it's, it's a great movie. Is it older? New? I mean, it must be uh, fairly old. Yeah, a good 10 years for sure. Okay. And it was directed I by... I want to say... It was directed by Adrian? Mm. Written? Produced? Starred in? Mm-mm. Uh, editing? Yeah, nothing. Then why are we talking about it? The name. Oh. I ho- Natalie Portman's first movie. <gasps> Shut the... She's like 10, so... Oh. Relax. Okay. Relax. That's creepy, then. It is, the way you said that. But it is okay that I went... <gasps> when she was in Black Swan, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you didn't... You didn't have a pulse. Every week. Just get over it. Every week. It's going to happen. Um, God! <laughs> um, Motherfucker! She'll be in her first movie at, at... She was only 10 in her first movie? Something like that. Shit, good for you, Nat. She, she does a great job. Nat? She's awesome in the movie. She's a great actress. Yeah, she was great in this movie. Yeah. You could just see, like, she is. Uh, she is going to be good. She is fantastic. Let's do five thirty hour time. Your time. Who? Wait, what am I? Th- oh no, I took. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do miss it? Yeah, no, no, no. It's five thirty his time. <laughs> I was reading that like he said that to me, and I would have been like, "Well, wait, that's three thirty our time. <laughs> we missed it by a lot." No. I sent that to him, 5.30 his time, so that's 7.30 our time. So it's he should be on shortly. It looks like he was active on the social medias right now. So he's probably just on there checking, oh, what time did I say we were going to do this? So pretty soon we'll get a little thing that he's in the waiting room. And I why, think... Why do I keep cutting out? We're cutting out? Yeah, twice now. What's cutting out? Like the our... Uh... It hasn't cut out my headphones. It's probably your... Because you keep pulling the fucking... Nope, 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 nope. Wire out of your headphones. See, nope, nope. See? Nope. I haven't heard it. it was, yeah, you were doing... You were talking there. Anyway, well, we'll see. Are you there sure? It sure. What? There it was. It's your fucking wire. It's I'm not... I'm not ha- touching it. I wasn't moving. That was fine, but it's not happening to me. Get your fucking professional on, motherfucker. We got a fucking Hollywood director coming in. And you're I'm wearing fu- pants. I'm professional. And you're fucking... Don't have headphones at work? But I got pants. So... Well, back Ad- off. I'm sure Adrian will be happy that you have pants on. Most people are. <sighs> yeah, most people are happy that I have pants on, too. I found that out. After the fact? Yeah, after this weekend. This past weekend. You figure out how to pixelate it? People are people are clamoring. There's comments already out there. When are we going to see the video? When are we going to see the video? I will, uh... When are we going to see the gherkin? Now that I don't have this weekend, I'll have to look into that. Gherkin, gherkin, gherkin. Gherkin, gherkin, gherkin. I love gherkins. Oh, yeah. <sighs> It'd be crazy if there wasn't a, if I didn't have him in the waiting room and he came in and I was singing the gherkin song. I am going to ask him if I can be in his next movie. Is that weird? Um, I think he should. if he does a movie where he needs like two guys who are pretending to podcast in the movie, like maybe he makes a psych, psychotic... Psychological thriller, where there's a serial killer who likes to kill podcasters because they're you know, it's too free and too open, and they say too much. We could be the first podcasters to get killed in like the opening scenes. I'm in. Yeah, it'd be great. A lot of times they have the 
um, the killers like call into stuff. They call sometimes they call into the newspapers. They call into radio shows. We mm. call in into podcasters explaining who his next murder victim is. Oh, and then they got to put it on the air, and everybody's got to try and find hints. it. Out. Hints of what the podcast is, and he drops hints of what's the connection between our podcast and the murders. I like it, and for because we're the first, like we're not, we're not, we're just we we're. We get killed in the opening credits, right? So all you hear well, is somebody saying, somebody saying to him calling into this podcast and saying, it's a really stupid one where they talk about drinking. And then we're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And we get it right through the heart. Why do we never have a knock on the door? Why is there? Right? Oh, I think I ordered a pizza. Killed online. <gasps> While we're recording. While we're recording. It's the evidence. Can we pitch this? Can we pitch this to him? He'll watch it. He'll watch it. He'll watch. I'm almost thinking that maybe we, it's, we re- it's reoccurring. We're we're reoccurring. That he calls the same. Po- he can't kill us because he keeps calling into our podcast. Well, I think that because we do it live. I think that makes us a little bit too big of the stars. I'm saying well, I would just be bit parts. Obviously, the stars would be the detective trying to solve the case. I know, but and you, the killer. Even uh, we'd be in the movie a lot, and I don't think anybody needs that. I'm all about just getting us killed the first scene. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And he's in the waiting room. All right, are we ready? Absolutely. You betcha. Hollywood director. Introduce, introduce. I will. If I can find the... Just confirm it's recording. It is. Admit. Oh, there we go. Hello, sir. How are you? (laughs) Howdy, doody. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Are, now, are you Dean? 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 Yeah. Yes. And I'm sorry, what was your name? My name's Kevin. Kevin, that's it. Okay. You know, I looked on your YouTube videos <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't find, and I even watched some of your some of your podcast episodes. Oh, I'm sorry. Find... <laughs> <laughs> and you still showed up. I, I still showed up. Yeah, yeah uh, so. perfect. <laughs> that's hurdle number one. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, th- thank you so much for, for being willing to do this. We really appreciate it. No, I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, now, you're in Wisconsin, right? We are. We are. Drinking Wisconsinably. Uh, <laughs> what, what part of Wisconsin? Um, Nina, it's, it's, we're kind of in between Milwaukee and Green Bay. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. My, my stepdaughter, she's in uh, Racine right now. Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's close to Milwaukee. Yeah, just south of Milwaukee. Yeah, we're north of Milwaukee by about an hour and a half. Oh, okay, all right. So yeah, she's uh, you know she's dating a a young Air Force uh, uh, serviceman, and he just got back from deployment. And they, as soon as he got back, they went to Wisconsin to see his family. So oh well, what, okay. Thank you to well, him. Yeah, thank thanks to yeah, her boyfriend. Awesome. Noah is his name. <laughs> thank you, Noah. <laughs> yeah, definitely do appreciate it. That's all right. Um, how you been? Well, let's yeah, introduce been- you. Let's introduce our guest. Okay. We, we- yeah, we fail to do that so often <laughs> when we do this. Like, we just get talking and forget about the introduction. So That's the best way to do it. You just yeah, into it. Yeah. So, um, Adrian, how do we pronounce the last name? Is it Leon or Leon? Yeah, well, the first Leon is the proper way, but I've heard it Leon my entire life, so it's all good. Whatever happens to feel right in the moment. Okay. Is fine. Okay. I noticed a little the little tick mark above it, so I thought it must be the Leon. So 
Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. Perfect, yeah. perfect. And you are the director of the movie Kindred, which yes. just came out on Amazon. So, yeah, it did, and now it's on Tubi, Tubi TV. Okay. All oh, right. perfect. Nice. Um, which yeah. we both had a chance to watch. Okay. <laughs> and and loved well, and, on. <laughs> and loved it. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic, and and uh, and you know we've had conversations with Karina and. Uh, when we talked about the movie, she said, you know, you should try and get Adrian on. And I said, okay, I was going to ask him. And, and she said, you know, he's already interested. So perfect. Oh, oh she's amazing. Karina is a great friend of mine. She's so talented and she has a, a beautiful heart. Yeah, she does. She's, she's been she so does. kind to us. So she, she's been great to great, great for our podcast. Yes. Yeah. And you know, with her upcoming one. So shout out to her. She's doing great for us. Yeah, she has a lot of stuff in the works, a lot of irons in the fire, and she's just an, an incredible uh, cheerleader to her friends who are also creators. And you've yeah. seen that. Before. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And so, we we interviewed Patrick last night. Yes, I, I heard Patrick called me this morning. Told me he had a great time talking to you. Oh, okay. We we enjoyed it. Yeah, it was wonderful. He's a great great guy. Yeah, he's a he's a great storyteller. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We would have coffee, and he would just. You know, enchant me with all these stories of uh, acting in New York and in Hollywood. He's he's amazing, and of course, for the people listening, he's the uh, one of the Malites in Kindred. Yes. yes, plays Alan the father, and uh, yeah, does a wonderful job. Yes, yes, he's amazing. All of them did. All the actors did. Yeah, you know that's kind of the key is to find, especially when you're working with such a low budget and with such a small amount of resources. I, mm-hmm. I think the important thing besides, besides the story is to find actors who show up ready to work. And, and I think one of the first steps in that is finding actors who already embody the character from day one. So, so for example, the lead character who is played by uh, Ethan Smart. Um, Boy, did you, know, you luck out with him. Oh man, tell me about it. No, seriously, he's just serious. Yeah, yeah, he's he's incredible. And you know, most of that movie was shot in maybe one or two takes because we had such a small amount of time, right? And we did it in eleven days. Oh wow! Uh, plus one extra day for for some just pickup shots, inserts of maybe a hand or maybe a microphone swinging into the shot, <laughs> and then the drum shots, which you saw. Uh, but. But for example, you know, that character is, you know, a loner and kind of angsty and, you know, not the type of guy that, uh, you know, probably would have been popular in school, you know. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so when I held the casting call, a lot of really talented actors came in. Uh, but and a lot of them looked like uh, they could have been the high school jock, the popular dating, the, you know, the lead cheerleader. And, you know, they were very, very talented. But what I realized early on was the audience was not going to buy someone like that retreating into an apartment and cutting himself off from from society, basically, or his family, you know? So when Ethan came in, you know, he kind of came in with that with that strong attitude that was already written into the character. And I remember very clearly because I like my actors when they come into audition uh, I like them to have another actor off camera to, to act with because that's how it's going to be on, you know, on the set, you yeah. know, and a lot of auditions that are held, the, the poor actors have to come in and there's no one off, you know, off camera acting with them. They're just there reciting the lines. So, so I had Pat there that day that Ethan came in, uh, Pat, who you had on last night. Yeah. And, 
and uh, and man, just the chemistry was there, you know, uh, which I'm sure you saw in the in the film. Yeah, the it's, a, it's evident. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you see the sparks, you know, and I thought, you know, and I realized to the the right actor, you can just tell them stand there and do nothing, and you roll the camera, and like that's it. Ah, they've they've captured it. Yeah. You know? And so that makes the, you know, the job easier, you know, for the director. It was the same thing with Pat. It was the same thing with Karina. You know, Karina uh, never talks about the amazing things she does, but she has a lot of compassion for kids. And, you know, she has a really charitable heart. And so that's who the character is. You know, she meets, you know, she finds this this abandoned child out in the desert. And, uh, you know, immediately, you know, her heart goes out to this little boy, you know. And so, and so you know, Karina was just perfect for the role. They all were. Yeah, I, I was I was watching with a female friend of mine, and the first thing she said about Karina was she does motherly perfect. Like oh. she just nailed it. Like you could just feel it coming out of her. Oh yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you something. That first that scene with them in the bed, the first the first scene where she's basically telling Alan, her husband, that she wants to bring this little kid home. And part of the backstory between those two characters is that she could never have any children of her own, yep. and that was absolutely fine with Alan you know, her husband, right? Because mm-hmm. he's just a selfish character. You know, he just wants this trophy wife and for all the attention to be on him. He doesn't want to have to compete with anybody. And that scene with them in the bed where she's telling him she wants to bring this little kid that she found home, you know, a year prior, um, that was not in the script. And when I got them together for the rehearsals, I had, to- I had wanted them to have a shared memory of that moment when she says, I want to bring, I want to adopt this little kid. I just, and it was just for the purposes of them creating a memory that they could refer to during their performances. Right. Oh, okay. And they just started ad-libbing this scene. And I thought, Oh my God, this is perfect. And I, ha- I happened to have a notebook and a pen and I started scribbling everything down, like the bullet points of everything they were, they were improvising. And, uh, and I, and I said to them, I'm going to sneak this, this shot in somewhere. I don't know because the, the shooting schedule was so tight. Right. Yeah. And, and we had already had the subsequent scene uh, uh, written in the script where he says, I'm going to throw my Viagra down the toilet. And I said, you know, OK, all right. So we're going to shoot that scene in bed. So we'll just shoot the scene, you know, this improvised scene right before. And I wrote down the bullet points. I gave it to them. And I said, this is this is what I want to do. And they, they did it in one take, which I thought was just. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's well, you great. could I could tell very what I liked about it was right away in a short amount of time, you learned a lot of the backstory and you know um, it didn't take long to figure out what was going on you you know compiled it really well at the beginning to know where they were at you know character wise yeah well i appreciate you saying that and already you're kind of at the top of the of the heap of the people who've watched it because i'm getting i'm getting it's really interesting as a creator of of, of media of content to, to read what people are saying people who, who people who you've never met and mm-hmm. it can be a very precarious spot especially if you're an insecure person now i've had uh uh you know 25 years of experience producing for tv and i've read people's what people (laughs) say about stuff i say so i'm used to it but it's still kind of it can still be a little nerve-wracking right and um uh so so you know it seems like you guys got it and but there it seems like people either get the movie or they don't and that's fine yeah and that's fine you know it's not everyone's going to love it, but it's definitely uh, a film that requires attention. You can't be you can't be scrolling on your phone while you're watching right. it because you're going to miss something. You know, you will, yes, and you, yeah, and you shouldn't be. I mean, if, if somebody makes a movie where I can be scrolling on my phone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm there for that entertainment. I don't need my phone for the next hour and a half. So, well, I wish everyone was like you. <laughs> yeah, no, put it down and watch. I mean, and and I knew going in, you know, when you when you watch a, a psychological thriller, you know, you have to pay attention. It's not a slapstick comedy where you can, you know, just kind of come in and out of it. So yeah, and just be listening in one ear and kind of you know talking to your kids out the you know yeah whatever. And and I think that you know my 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 heart kind of sank a little bit uh, because it wasn't that long ago. It was two weekends ago. I was at a family birthday party and my niece who's in the film, just as a, as a, as a uh, background extra, she's in the insane asylum scene. When Pat walks into the insane asylum, she, she's playing the nurse who's walking. Oh uh, yeah. Patient out. And, and she said, Oh, you know, uncle, she said, I, I, I love the film. Uh, keep in mind she has four children at home right and she said oh man i love your movie but like five minutes into it i realized i was really gonna have to like <laughs> you know you know i couldn't have it playing in the kids and you know if i was really no. gonna get it. and for the first time i thought oh my god like it's so true you know sometimes you know you know these days people's uh attention is so uh, uh attention span is so short uh, you just have to hope that the people who uh, who find it are the type that are going to give it the attention that I, hopefully it deserves, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it definitely deserves attention. It, it des- yeah, it deserves it. <laughs> Absolutely. How, how, did, how did the project start? I see you're collaborated writing the, the movie. Well, you did everything on the movie. You wrote it, you directed it, you produced yeah. it, you edited it. It seems like you, you wanted hands in everything. Yeah, it's true. And that was really out of necessity. I... I and you know it's so funny, and, and I'll answer that question in a second. Sure. How, how did it start? But I remember very clearly uh, my third gig in TV, which was about two years after I started, because I had my first professional gig in, in, in production uh, was in 1997, and it was uh, about a year and a half later, 99. I was hired at the smallest TV station in in the city that I live in, Las Vegas. Uh, originally, I'm from California, uh, LA. But I was living in Las Vegas at the time, and uh, uh, the production manager there, a uh, lovely, lovely person named Kate, uh, she, she called me in because I had, uh, you know, applied for, uh, you know, just like an internship there. And keep in mind, this is the smallest, smallest <laughs> and And she said, look, with this job, uh, you're never going to go lower than this job. <laughs> right? You're, it, in, in, in entertainment and TV and production, you're never going to go lower than this job. But everything you learn at this job, you will take with you, right? You yeah. Will, you will take with you for the rest of your life, for as long as you make this your career. And while I was there, I wrote, I edited, I did the camera, I did the lights, uh, I directed, I produced. Uh, the first year alone, we had so much work coming in and, and out of that TV station, uh, uh, the production department where, where I was. I started as an assistant editor. The first 12 months, one day, I had, there was, it was an uncharacteristically slow day. And uh, I thought, well, let me just see how many spots or, you know, you know, that have aired I've actually worked on in the last 12 months, right? And I took out the logs because you had to log everything. And I just found my initials on every single thing on every single line item right and it was over 850 spots that had aired on wow. tv i had either uh edited shot directed or all three you know and i thought oh my gosh well that's crazy and i worked there almost three years and oh, wow. that was probably the least busy you know year that that i was there so it really even though that was 
over 20 years ago, it really prepared me well for the work that I had to do on this. Because even though I had gone on to do, uh, you know, uh, spots for national TV and I've had crews and, you know, I've sat in the big HD trucks and, you know, calling the shots with the cameras and I've had people do every little job for this movie, it wasn't going to be like that. You know, we shot it for like $70,000, which is a, a pittance, you know, wow, and, right? that's like the catering budget for the first week, of, <laughs> you know? And um, the way that it started was, of course, I got into production because I wanted to make movies. I grew up watching movies. Uh, I inherited that love from my dad, who inherited it from his grandma, who used to take him to movie theaters when he was a little kid, and they would just watch movies, you know, every Saturday. And um, I knew that what I had to do was I had to write it. What they call I had to write a stage play, uh, a film with the least amount of locations possible. Because when you move from one location to another, when you're shooting a film, that takes time. You have to load up all the gear into the truck. Sure. The whole crew has to get into the trucks and their vans and their cars, and they got to go to the new location. Then they got to, you know, kind of take stock of the situation, unload everything, and then set everything up. So that's called a company move. And I knew that if I had too many company moves during the production of the film in 11 days... It was going to be, well, you know, this is like when I first started, I didn't know it would be 11 days, but I knew it would be a very small amount of time. Yeah. And so I set out, I, I just it really, I guess the idea came out of necessity. I thought, what can I write that can take place mostly in one room? And I thought, well, what can I, so I had the idea of a guy sitting in a room, listening to other rooms in his building. And then what if the person in a room he's listening to uh, dies under very mysterious circumstances or something very weird happens under very mysterious circumstances. And so he pulls that thread and it all begins to unravel around him, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and as I was writing it, I thought, well, maybe we can see when he's found in the, in the beginning. Cause you know, people are going to want to see that. So I thought, okay, well, so there's one location. And then I thought, well, the climax really should be him being able to go to where all of this started. And of course I don't want to spoil it too yep. much. Right. And, so that, and so that's another location, right? And then, well, now we got to see where Pat and Karina live, their characters. So that's another location. And it's not really that many more locations beyond that. The insane asylum, the office, we're talking five or six locations, you know? And, and uh, uh, the, the draft that I had six months before we began to shoot, I broke it down with the producer and I had that sobering realization Oh my goodness. Cause I had an idea of how much money was going to be available to me. Yeah. Right. How much more I could raise in that short amount of time. And I thought I can't shoot this with, for this amount of money. Ooh. And so, and that's when there's no writer's block cause you don't have a choice cause the wheels on the train are already rolling. And I, I wrote the draft that became the, the film and I cut out a lot of the, you know, uh, originally he was supposed to venture out of his room and and see what had happened in these apart in these different apartments. Yeah. Put, out, of okay. I, out of necessity, I had to trim that, and that's where the character of Leonard came about, the maintenance man. He's awesome too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, he's he's a and you know that was probably the the most difficult acting performance in the film because, like I mentioned before, all of the other roles they're playing, they're almost playing themselves in a way. Yeah. Right. But. Kevin, he came in as if he were, as if he did have some kind of a diagnosis, you know? And so I was like, is, you know, those of us who were there watching the, the tapes and when we called him in, because we called in, you know, 
people who actually did have some kind of a, a diagnosis, right? Oh, okay. And so we so we were talking about Kevin, like, is he is he really or is he not? Or you know, <laughs> okay. So he came in, he, he did the he did the thing, right? And then and then I called cut uh, on the audition, and then he just kind of like, hey, okay, all right, thank you. And I thought, <laughs> oh wow, like that was incredible, you know. And so yeah, people and people for the most part uh, have told me that he steals the show for them, you know. Yeah, yeah, in his scenes, yeah, he, he's a scene stealer. Yeah, and, and and it's nice how you use him to tell the story that you couldn't, you know, you couldn't move Ethan's character around, so he gets to kind of tell the story of what yeah. Ethan would be seeing. So yeah, he was a he was a wonderful character. Oh, thank you for that. And you know, the whole movie is really through Ethan's point of view, or mm-hmm. you, know, you know, through his character's point of view. So it kind of made sense. It kind of all came together like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I did like that part of it where he used used him selfish but himself you know to, to to be his eyes and stuff so that was an inter- yeah that was a neat part yeah and so you know so writing leonard uh, knowing that that's the purpose he had to serve in the story i had to write someone who was i had to write leonard as someone who was very easy to take advantage of yeah right, right. uh very you know someone the who had a lot of root, rooting interests meaning someone who's very likable you know that the, the audience begins to root for that character. They bond with that character, and you know, really, the whole film. There are a lot of themes, but the, the whole film, in a way, is a thesis on mental illness, right? Because you know, uh, Ethan's character Winters has you know this this thing going on, and apparently, it's been passed down from him to him by his by his biological mom, mm-hmm. and it's alluded to in the story that he has some type of schizophrenia yeah right and so i was as i was writing it i was thinking you know that this building is really a metaphor for his mind you know and when leonard comes in and he says hey you're my you know you're the hey boss well i'm not your boss uh technically you are i have a hundred a hundred different bosses <laughs> in this building you know and so and so really the connection i'm trying to make is ethan said Ethan has these disembodied voices coming through that the his speakers, right? The people he's listening to. And so when Leonard says that, that's kind of an allusion to, oh, he's schizophrenic and I have a hundred different voices telling me what to do. You yeah. know? Yep. So, you know, it's just you, you have fun like that as a filmmaker, kind of creating those things that most people probably won't get, but that, you know, uh, I think a few people might. Oh yeah. That's what I enjoyed. That that part a lot. Yeah. Which I wanna ask you is so what was a big influence? Who, who was a who was one of your influences as a as a director? Oh my gosh, there's so many. As, as it pertains to this film, um, you know Francis Coppola, who made the Godfather films and Apocalypse Now. Uh, he made a little film between the first Godfather and the second Godfather called The Conversation yep. with, with Gene Hackman, and you know he's he plays a, a professional wiretapper, mm-hmm. and you know and he makes a recording. And he has to he has to get to the bottom of of this of this meaning in one of, of one of the in one of these recordings that he makes, and uh, that was a huge huge influence for me. Uh, I, I just love that film. You know, it's such a it's it's a small film, but and hardly anyone talks about it's it. It's a though. very underrated. It's a very underrated yeah. movie. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Brian De Palma's Blowout with uh, John Travolta. You know, that was that a huge. Why that brought me to go ahead? I'll let you finish. No, 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 please, please. It, um, watching the movie, and that's what made me think I want to ask, even before we knew we were going to talk to you, is your influences. And that exactly, Brian De Palma and Blowout were first thing that came to my mind. 
Because oh, yeah. that's that's one of my favorite all time movies is Blowout. Oh, really? Oh man, I love that film. Yes. I love that. Film. Yes. Oh, he's he, he's so amazing in that. And then uh, David Lynch, Blue Velvet, and mm-hmm. you know the thing is, David Lynch. Some of his movies are really incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> True. But, but I dig them, you know. And when I watch them, I'm still feeling it the next day, you know. And so David Lynch, you know, he made a movie called Blue Blue Velvet, sure. you know. Uh, uh, with uh, Kyle McLaughlin a long time ago, and that was that was an influence as well. And uh, so, so what I've tried to do in the marketing of this film, because it really is kind of a grassroots kind of marketing effort, uh, is I target people on social media who like those films. Yep. The conversation, right? Uh, Blue Velvet, uh, Blowout. You know, and mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because those are the ads that have you know you see the spike in, in traffic going to watch the movies. Which is which is really satisfying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you compare it, or somebody compare it to Moment Memento as well. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that was absolutely. Uh, I, I loved that film. I yeah. think it's probably my favorite Christopher Nolan film, other than Dunkirk, which is I, I have a thing for World War II pictures. Okay. You know? uh, but Memento is is amazing. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there was another one that someone mentioned, and I thought, oh my god, you're right. Ah, and I can't think of it right now. It must be the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. How about cheers? Oh, cheers for having you on. Yes. Yeah. I see you have wine. Um, we are cocktails in our name, so <laughs> like knowledge Jack quick. Well, you know, I just came back from a, a camping trip in Zion. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and my girlfriend uh, is amazing at planning camping trips the, the last one we went to before that was uh, navajo lake in utah right which was just mm. this beautiful pristine place and but that was cold when we went there okay it was, it was cool it was freezing at night right and so when we were going to zion or when we were planning it i thought you know it's gonna be warm i was looking at the weather it was gonna be warm and she had already bought you know beer and wine and so she had bought this this box of wine right here <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but, you know, red wine always makes me kind of, like, warm. Right. You know, like, yep. Kind of hot. And I don't like really drinking it in, in, in hot weather. And so I just stuck with the ice-cold beer. And I thought, well, you know, I got this box here, so it's perfect. I perfect. Can... Yeah. We, we are definitely a box wine kind of podcast, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's so funny is I was thinking, well, maybe I'll buy a nice bottle of Coppola, you know, because yeah. for this. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe this is more appropriate for me because – as far as filmmakers go, I think I'm probably still on the bottom category. <laughs> well, and it's what you could afford on your budget of your movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That this is kind of like an eleven day seventy thousand dollars budget. <laughs> well, maybe maybe not for long. Maybe not for long. What? Oh, from your lips to God's ears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what is what's next? What are we? Are you have a project in the works right now? Yeah, I have. I have. Uh, oh my goodness! Yes, always, and I'm I'm always um, looking forward to finishing projects and not having anything on my slate, and, and it just never happens. <laughs> and I just that I guess I'm kind of a workaholic in a, in a way, okay. you know? and and uh, it's just things kind of happen, and, and I want to do that, you know. So one one project I'm working on does not have a title. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of them have titles right now, but um, a friend of mine named Tracy Garner, he's an associate producer on Kindred. You see his name in the, in the end credits. And, uh, you know, we've always wanted to make a film together. And he made a film, oh, goodness, 16 years ago. That it was a little indie film. 
bigger budget than mine, but still kind of in the same neighborhood, just kind of, you know, a little more money, a little more time, sure, uh, a little more crew. And, you know, he did really well. He got a theatrical distribution uh, in like 30 theaters across the country, and it's still making some money, you know, to this day. It's called Return with Honor. And uh, so that came out in 06. But he really, you know, he he's really focused on writing since then. He became a really great writer. So he has a movie under his belt. And now I have a movie under my belt. And we kind of were just talking the other day, and he had this idea. And I said, you know, that's a really great idea. So we decided we're going to make it. Him is the writer director, and I'm going to produce it for him and probably edit edit it for him. And uh, we'll just make this thing and put it out into the world. And I also have another film that I'm writing, uh, which has interest among investors. And it's uh, it's more of a supernatural horror story. Whereas, oh, okay. Yeah, Kindred is more of a, I call it a surrealist, neo-noir, psychological thriller, you know? Sure. But, but this one is more of a, it's just, it's a ghost story, you know? Okay. And I'm hoping to be a little more, you know, a little more scary, some more jump scares, uh, and not as impenetrable as, as Kindred. Because Kindred, you really, like, you know, you can watch it twice, three times, and each time you're, ca- you know, you're catching little details. Right. right. And even the sound designer, uh, David Rodriguez, he was incredible. He was working on Kindred, and he's like, oh my gosh, like, because I gave him all the sound files, all the tracks, and so he was working on the dialogue, and then he would work on the on the the ambiances, and then he and then he he told me later, he said, "Wow, I'm like listening to this scene, and I'm thinking it needs more stuff." And then he goes down into the tracks below that, and it's like, "Oh my gosh, there's more stuff!" You know, all the sounds that are coming out of his mixing board, and you know, all these yeah. all these things, and uh, you know, so so anyways. Uh, I think I want to get away from making something so incredibly complex and maybe just tell a simple ghost story. So I'm working on that. And uh, yeah, and so there's another project that came along a couple of days ago that I'm not allowed to say anything about, but it has a lot of promise. So so yeah, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, just trying to keep it going. Perfect, perfect. I do, um, last night I watched... um, your documentary, Traffic No More. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. I did. Very, very touching. Very well done. Um, Thank you. So, not to sober up, but I'd like to touch on that for a little bit and how you got involved with that and any updates since 2015? Yeah, you know, that was that was an interesting project. And we had a couple of grand to make that. We're talking like two or $3,000. So what happened was I got a phone call from uh, a pastor in Las Vegas and a law had been passed in Nevada, which made it uh, uh, a crime to traffic someone, right? AB, uh, AB 67. Yes, that's it. So, so basically, and it's hard to believe, but before that law passed, it wasn't a crime, right? That's yeah. So that's... Yeah, so it became a crime punishable by a sentence up to life in prison, right? And the state of Nevada wanted to put the word out. And so I got the call to make a program that would air across the entire state of Nevada, uh, uh, educating people, letting them know that this law had passed, that potentially their kids were in danger if they were exhibiting certain red flags, Mm -hmm. right? And that... 
for the most part, a lot of these girls weren't necessarily the criminals. There was someone behind them kind of, you know, pulling the strings, uh, manipulating them and putting them into these positions, right? So, so over the course of a year, we shot this film and I interviewed, uh, you know, someone from the FBI. Of course, I interviewed uh, the then attorney general, who's now one of the U.S. senators from Nevada, Catherine Cortez Masto. Uh, and I interviewed survivors, uh, girls who had been sex trafficked, um, you know, and, you know, a mother of a sex trafficking victim. And it was really the most depressing, most difficult thing I've ever worked on, right? And keep in mind, uh, my my second daughter, my girlfriend was pregnant with our second daughter. So I had a, a two-year-old daughter, where she was one going on two during this year of production. Sure. Uh, had another daughter on the way. And I was having to document these stories about daughters being victimized. And of course, sons, but, you know, we, we focus mainly on, on the daughters. And there were so many stories that were so over over the top like, too many too many stories yeah yeah that we had to leave out of it because we were kind of trying to educate the public and i mean just imagine this where, where it's a topic it's sex trafficking and you're and you're making it so that it can air leading into prime time on tv on oh. every single station simultaneously it was a roadblock broadcast right um and it was such a sordid and an ugly topic that you had to make palatable for families to watch together, right? Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of these stories out. You know, one of them involved a, a grandmother pimping her own grandkids, oh, you know? And, and, and the reason we had to leave that out was because there were a lot of people out there that don't believe this is a problem in this country, but it is, right? So, and I even went undercover. Well, you know, I went, I was, uh, we, went, we went up to Reno and I was with the police force up there and they set up this room uh, and they put the ad on the internet and uh, they had a picture of a, of a girl that was obviously under 18 and they set her up in a, uh, a hotel room and she, w- she was just a young looking police officer, a uh, female police officer. And you know how the motel rooms have that door that goes into another room? Yeah. Sure. yeah yep. So, you know, there were probably a dozen police officers in there and then there was the room that she was in and in that bathroom, I was in there with like a six and a half foot tall ex-Marine police officer, you know, with, you know, we had bulletproof vests on and, you know, I had a rush in there, but he, it was his job to protect me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, I, and I wired the room as if I were the character in Kindred, you know, I, I put, I put little microphones everywhere and, um, and guys would come in expecting to have sex with the girl that was in her teens, <sighs> you know? And I was basically the guy, you know, almost like in that show. What is it? Uh, to Catch a Predator. Yeah, that? sure. Yeah, Dateline. Yeah. 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 So so we made it over the course of a year. And I remember I was editing it. And keep in mind, hardly get, you, you know, just and we were it was a labor of love for all of us that were working on it. And it was only like two or three of us that were working on it. Right. Uh, so, again, my experience from the TV station was was paying off because I was able to record sound and, and light the interviews and shoot them and do the editing and, and do, you know, just basically wear all those hats. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was editing and I was having to go through oh, hundreds of hours of footage. Oh, God. And, and I was and, you know, I had a kid on the way and I was devoting all this time to a project that really wasn't paying a lot. And it was so incredibly heartbreaking. And I remember I had a moment uh, 
in my in my spare bedroom, which I've always had a spare bedroom that I edit in, right? Because I'm I've always been uh, ever ever since after Telemundo, I've been a freelance producer and I do my work at home. And I remember just almost like almost to the point of breaking down, like oh my god, because the the two producers and I had said we may never know the impact that this show has, right? Right. And and, and I remember editing, and it just the 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 pressure of it and the the tone of it and the content of it and having to you know when you're editing you're watching stuff over and over again uh it really got to me and i'm not the most religious or spiritual person but i believe that there is you know you know uh, a creator out there right and i said i said god like i just i need to know that this was worth it i just need to know that this was worth it because it felt like a huge sacrifice yeah i had my moment uh we finished the film and probably about a month after that, uh, uh, we we did a special screening for the Nevada uh, Broadcasters Association, and and I sat and for the first time I watched the film, which is just a half hour. Uh, uh, technically, it was a current affairs program. I watched it in a room full of people, and I and I hated it because I saw every flaw every lack of resource or money or time uh you know we had to do reenactments i had you know we were just like spitballing it you know what i'm saying like doing what we could and you know how some actors can't watch their their performances on screen like they have a hard time with it uh that's how i am kind of you know and so i was just cringing like oh my gosh like when when is this going to be over so then the lights came up the movie ended the lights came up and uh, this woman, I can't remember who it was, but she was with the uh, Broadcasters Association. She came up to the podium and she couldn't talk. She was just choked with tears. And I thought, and that's, and I thought, well, wow. Well, maybe it did kind of, you know, touch someone, right? It was that weekend. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was, it was two weeks later because they, I had made a trailer and it played, they were start, starting to play the trailer on TV and in churches and, you know, the casino playing it for uh, their employees. Uh, to get everybody in the state of Nevada to watch it. That was the goal, or as many people as possible. And I, w- I remember feeling sorry for myself for not being happy with the film. It was very selfish, right? I was just kind of like that that uh, that artist who mm. felt he could have done better and just kind of being, just thinking along those lines, right? Sure. And I was at the park with my family. I'll never forget it. And I got a Facebook Messenger message, right? And, and it was a woman who said, hey, this is, I just want you to know, um, you know, this is who I am. And uh, your trailer played at our church and a girl ran out after watching it. And then she called us a couple hours later and she realized that this is what was happening to her, oh. right? Her boyfriend, which it's uh, isolated her from her family, was keeping her in this house, was basically pimping her out. She was under, under 18. Uh, and she realized that, that this is what was happening to her. And so we talked to her, we met her, and we rescued her out of that out of that situation. And I thought, oh, my God, that was the answer to my prayers. Right. Well, that was the answer to that dark moment I had six weeks prior, you know, that I need to know that this, that this sacrifice was worth it, right? So anyways, um, that's when I thought, that's kind of when my mindset began to kind of flip on that situation I, I wasn't and i didn't think about it so much as the shortcomings but about what it was doing for people in the community so it it aired on tv and that night uh, i think at least 40 girls saw it and and uh, called for wow. help 
and were rescued that night. Oh wow! Uh, and and it and it aired at seven thirty. <coughs> excuse me. It aired at seven thirty, leading into prime time. Every single station in the state of Nevada uh, uh, aired it simultaneously, and people were hopping mad because they were going to miss Jeopardy. You know. <laughs> oh jeez. You know? but you know, I mean, you're always going to get people like that. Yeah, yeah screw them. <laughs> you know? And talking about you know like how toxic people can be on the internet. You know, people were watching it. And even though girls were literally being saved, you know, people were still complaining about, oh yeah, this is, yeah, this is a piece of garbage or, oh, it wasn't really at all or this or that or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, it's not for everybody. And, you know, there were, there were parents that were writing online saying, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I don't think my, daughter's being trafficked but she ha- she's exhibiting these red flags okay yeah that's telling me i have to talk to my daughter more you know that's you know like so so it was opening people's eyes before right? before it got to that point yeah yeah absolutely so Perfect. so anyway yeah so so now uh six seven years later the film's been institutionalized here in in at least in las vegas they show it to high school kids oh. a condensed version of it we're talking i think like 12 or 13 minutes uh, th- that year, the state of Arizona, uh, they hosted the Super Bowl, right? Because uh, I think it aired in December or early January. So then the Super Bowl was a few weeks after that. So they used, because, you know, I'm sure you may or may not know the Super Bowl is actually, and these big sporting events, a lot of sex trafficking goes on around these. Yeah, these, I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. So the state of Arizona used it to train their first responders uh you know as far as what to look for and blah 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 and uh yeah and it aired like i think in five or six states and it was nominated for an emmy so uh, there you have it's it it's awesome well we're worth it then and we're both we're both dads of daughters so we definitely appreciate the work that was put into it because oh, yeah thank you yeah, absolutely it's something yeah. you you know obviously both of us probably have worried about at times so yeah how, how old are your daughters minus six <clears throat> and I have an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old. Wow, wow. Yeah, mine are uh, seven and nine, and then my stepdaughter that's in Wisconsin, she's, I think, 22, you know, so. Okay. So, yeah. No, appreciate you doing that. No, no, of course. It was, yeah. I mean, you look back now and you think, oh, okay, it was a year of work and it was worth it, you know. But when you're in the trenches, it can feel very demoralizing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then that led to a couple of, uh, so that was in 2015, I think, and then, I think it was two or three years later, we had that shooting in Las Vegas from the Mandalay Bay. Do you remember when yep. that guy was? Yeah. So the mayor, the mayor had wanted something to, uh, to, to um, educate the city regarding uh, trauma. Because when something like that happens in a city, whether it's a shooting like that, or even a hurricane, you yep. know, like, in the, you know, in the Midwest, you know, that tears up these cities, you know, the, the trauma stays or not the cities, these little towns, you know, and when a lot of people die and property is destroyed. So they they did something similar. Uh, and they the city asked me to make a, a film talking about not necessarily the shooting, but potentially what could happen uh, in people's lives as a result of that trauma, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, I kind of feel like that's the follow-up to Traffic No More, you know? Well, let's mention it, Believe, Believe Again. Yeah, yeah, I didn't title it. I'm not crazy about these titles, but, yeah, it was called <laughs> Believe, Again, Believe Again Las Vegas, yeah. Again, uh, you were nominated for an Emmy for it? 
I was. I lost, but that's okay. <laughs> but you had three, three Emmy nominations. Yeah, three Emmy nominations. So, yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you for that. More Thank to you. come. Well, let's. We'll see about that. I hope so. <laughs> um, and won the Bronze Telly Award. You won that. Yes, I did. What, I did. what did you win for that? Or what? Uh, the bronze, I think the bronze I got for Believe Again, and then I got another bronze for a one-hour broadcast documentary I did for uh, uh, this place that used horses to rehabilitate kids with uh, traumatic oh, sure. backgrounds. It was a, docu- a one-hour broadcast documentary called One. Oh, okay. Because they say that when a horse... Uh, and it's rider bond, they become one, right? So we called it one. And uh, we took these four kids, no, I'm sorry, three kids from the inner city of Las Vegas. They were endangered youth. And we took them up to a horse ranch in Pioche, Nevada, which is, you know, just a very small, you know, it's, it's country, right? Okay. It's country. And uh, we had the kids work with horses for, for uh, an amount of time and we documented it. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a really cool cool thing and my hotel room that i stayed in was haunted so that was an added uh little adventure oh there's (laughs) your ghost movie (laughs) my ghost movie yeah there you go (laughs) haunted hotel room perfect room to write a ghost movie in (laughs) yes yes go back to the room and lock yourself until you have us have it written (laughs) yeah it'll just write the movie writes itself literally (laughs) perfect perfect well uh and if you ever need extra podcasters in any of your movies we're your guy sign us up you know, do not be surprised. <laughs> if you uh, when you watch this episode, we we did a little intro and we 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 pitched a little movie for you at the beginning. So oh. b- before we brought you on, okay. So right. we won't bore with you now, but if you watch it, I'm gonna watch it with great interest. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I I bet. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask about. Um, Eleanor, who plays the sister in King Dread 2, because I thought she was fantastic, and, and uh, where she, where you found her, and, and uh, kind of the story for her. Oh, yeah, Eleanor's amazing. So I did a casting call uh, for, well, basically for all the characters, not for Pat, because I knew Pat, and yep. I knew he'd be perfect, and I actually, and I knew Karina before making the movie, so I actually wrote that role for her, hoping she'd be available. Yeah. Right? But for the, those two characters, Ethan and, and Eleanor's characters, um, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to be this is going to be a task to to find these roles, and and you know, there's just so much emotion, as you know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Written into it, so I put out a casting call uh, in Los Angeles, in Las Vegas. And also uh, on a website called Backstage that, you know, you can put it in all the major, you can put the posting in all the major cities. Oh, okay. And, and for Ethan and Eleanor's roles, over 1,500 actors applied in, I'd say, like a two-week period, right? Oh. Yeah. And with Eleanor, the, I saw her reel, right? This is little clips of her work. And there was this amazing little clip that uh, that she did that she had in her reel with uh, a male actor sitting in a car, right? And it was just a little back and forth dialogue between the two, and she had so much nuance, right? In that little clip, 
Uh, and I thought, oh my God, like it's just instantly, I, I, I can honestly say that I felt like sh- I had found my Jane, yeah. right? When I saw that. But of course you have to, you have to call in as many people as you can, right? Mm-hmm. So the day that I met Ethan and Eleanor, they came in on the same day. Uh, I think we saw 120 actors. It was exhausting. Right? Oh, it was just crazy. Uh, we rented a little room in, in Burbank <clears throat> and uh, uh, we had the actors come in we scheduled them and she came in. And so there's something called adjustments, right? You, you give them the sides, which is a portion of the script beforehand. And that way they can learn the lines and stuff. Uh, and then she came in, did it. And then I gave her an adjustment. We'll do it like this or do it like that. Are we thinking this or say it as if, you know, whatever. Okay. And a, a well-trained actor is like a sports car, right? They come in, they're ready, and you can give them a little adjustment. And they're just, they're, they're able to take that adjustment, internalize it, and, you know, kind of go in that different direction that you, that you need as a director, right? As opposed to an actor who's not trained or inexperienced or just not good, <laughs> you know, literally having to pull the performance out of them. And it's just, oh, my gosh, you, you know, I knew I wasn't going to have time for that. And so Eleanor was like the former. She was finely tuned. And, you know, I gave her a couple of adjustments and I thought, oh, yeah, like she's definitely going to get a call back. But I didn't tell her that. So anyways, uh, we saw the rest of the actors and actresses. And I told my casting director, Eliza, uh, definitely call Eleanor back. And we'd already seen Ethan. And I said, I want these two to come in at the same time. Try to get them to come in at the same time. Because I had a feeling that these two, these were going to be the two, you know? Mm And, and so, yeah, we did the callbacks and uh, Ethan and Eleanor came in and, uh, and they, were, they were perfect together. And, you know, Eleanor actually has become a, a really great friend of mine. She, she's been a terrific sounding board um, throughout the post-production process of the film. Uh, there were a lot of obstacles. So, so when I made the film, I raised what I knew I needed to shoot it, to get it in the can, so to speak. Yep. And, so, and so when I had that amount, um, which was roughly $67,000, I told the producer, Eric, I said, I just need to raise a contingency amount, right? Because you always want to raise another 10% just in case of any unforeseen expenses. I said, as okay. soon as I get that additional $7,500, I said, it's a go. And then I'll get the, I can edit the movie myself. And I know, I just, I had faith that I could raise the finishing funds, right? Uh, uh, based on the strength of what we had shot. And I was right. So we shot the film. And, you know, Eleanor, uh, she had a really difficult uh, uh, job to do. You know, I'm not going to say too much about it. Yeah, don't give it away. (laughs) But for those climactic scenes, for those scenes at the end, one take on on Eleanor and one take on Ethan and one take on Pat in that room. And that was it. We we had to go and then we had outside to shoot the exterior of the house because the sun was going down and that's all i'm for you know so and she just she just nailed it uh but anyways when i was when i was raising money for uh the post-production of the film to finish it uh i had i was that's when covid happened right and and so we had kept in contact after the shoot and occasionally i felt like i needed to ask someone who was not part of my everyday life, uh, you know, ask their opinion on things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
her and I had gotten along really well. And so I'd call her and we'd sit and talk and weigh the options and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And we were always on the same page. And it was, she was always a very reassuring voice during post-production finishing, finishing the project. So yeah, I can't say enough great things about her. She's amazing. And you know, she's, she's experiencing a lot of success. I think some commercials she's been in uh, have won awards and nice. uh, she's, yeah, she's been working a lot. What I mean, what amazes me about this when you see these independent movies and you see these brilliant actors is to think of all of these wonderful actors that are out there that just don't get their chances in in the big movies and and uh, and we're we're missing out, you know, on performances like that. Oh my gosh, it's so true because when you do a casting call, you go out into the room or into the hall and generally it's a lot of actors that look like each other right yeah, you, sure. know, they're, you know they're they're requesting a certain type certain look and 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 you're thinking oh my gosh like what a life this is you know uh at, i think and i think acting is probably the most difficult of the creative uh jobs that are out there because you know if you're a musician at least you can go out and do busking and you know put a hat out and right. get money Right. What are you going to do? You know, but someone has to hire you to act, or you got to do your own production, which a lot of actors are doing nowadays. You know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's just so many people want to act, and they probably, I know that there are probably people out there that have the talent that just never get, never get the shots, just never know? get the one, the right, the right picture, the right director to notice what they can bring to the picture. But yeah. what a, what a feeling that is to have the hunch on the actors and actor. And then see it on the final film and be like, it worked. You know, it, it, it worked. Oh, man, absolutely. And that, I think that that's my biggest sense of accomplishment with uh, the film as a whole is the actors. Because there's this thing called uh, mirroring. Like you look in a mirror, right? So there's this thing called mirroring. So, so, so they say that when you're auditioning actors, if you begin to feel what the actor, the emotion that the actor is portraying, that that's, of course, a good thing. Like if they're sad in the audition or, or happy, whatever emotion they're portraying, if you as the, the director are feeling that, that's a great indication that you found someone with some talent because mm. that's what you want them to achieve in, in the film. And, uh, and all of the actors uh, did that for me, right, when I, was, when I was looking for them. So when I read the criticisms of the film, Right. And there's plenty of them out there. Um, I, I think of how amazing the cast is. And I think, no, you know what? Like, this is objectively a great cast. And even the people out there that I don't know that are leaving reviews on IMDb or on Amazon uh, or, or any number of other sites online, I'd say probably 95% of these comments all pinpoint the acting. And it, and it just gives me such a tremendous uh, sense of uh, accomplishment because that's my job as a director is to find the right actors to embody these characters, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and maybe you, you don't want to toot your own horn, but I'll, I'll say it. It's great writing and it's a great movie. I mean, it's a great story and it's a great movie. So. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, it was a big swing. I'm going to tell you, it was a big swing. Uh, I have a friend who I think Pat told you about. He, uh, you know, his name's Glenn. Yeah. And he worked on a, on a big TV show uh, uh, as an executive producer. He also directed episodes of it. And he watched the film and he turned to me and he said, how many days did you shoot this in? I said, <laughs> 11 days plus one day of pickups. 
And he said, God, this is like 20 days of work, you know? And, and it's true. So, but thank you for that. You know, it's, it's, uh, you do what you can, you put it out there into the world and then hopefully you can make another. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't please everybody. So yeah, no, no. So you know that, yes, I enjoyed it. I will, uh, because of being a psychological thriller, I want to watch it again. Cause I know I miss stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that people have said, people have told me, I said, oh my gosh, so many little details so many little bits of dialogue that you don't realize mean something, you know, a lot of subtext. I had a lot of fun with that as a writer, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, so a lot, a lot of directors we, we see put themselves in on the other side of the camera for a tiny little cameo. Did I miss, are you in the movie at all? <laughs> so, so in, in the film, Ethan's character Winters is listening to his, uh, fel- his uh, t- other tenants in the building and he's living, that's his coping device, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. People. Of course, his body still, his, 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 you know, his heart, his soul still yearns for that family connection. But, you know, he's been twisted in a lot of ways. And so this is the only way he feels he can do it. And in the first 10 minutes of the film, you hear him, you see him listening to, to different families, basically. And uh, there's a mother and a son. Uh, and then there's, there's a couple fighting. Yep. Right? Uh, and I'm I'm the guy that's fighting with, and that's and that's my real life girlfriend. So it's just you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. <perfect. laughs> so, so you have a little bit of cameo. Yeah, that's my Hitchcock moment. There you and, go. Yeah, so I had mentioned Kate, who had hired me at Telemundo back in the '90s, when he realizes something's wrong and he calls his illicit pharmacist who's selling him these drugs under the table. Yeah. Uh, and and the pharmacist says no 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 like you know uh, I can't help you because obviously someone's gotten to him and scared him. Uh, then he calls his doctor and the receptionist that answers the phone is, is Kate, the, the lady who gave me one of my first breaks in TV. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. And great advice. Well, we we enjoy promoing your film, and I, I've reached out to Eleanor. So if you want to put in a good word for us, we'd have her too. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll let her know for sure. Yeah, I I'll reached out to her on Instagram, and and so yeah. We we would talk to anybody from the movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we, we wouldn't if we didn't enjoy it so much. So, absolutely. It's kudos to you. Did a great job. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a it's been a pleasure. Yeah, you bet. Anytime you want to come back and talk about work you got coming up or, or anything, you know, let us know. We we'd be more than happy. You're gonna get that call. Trust me. Absolutely. Can't <laughs> well, wait. <laughs> I can't imagine we've heard the, the last of you. So. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, I've always been somewhat pragmatic when I think about my career and I think, well, this could be the only film I make. So let me just swing big, you know, and, and try to try to get that home run. And, um, you know, people who know me and love me say, what are you talking about? Of course, you're going to make another one. But when you're the actual guy, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily feel like that all the time. It's oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And then another opportunity comes up and you do it and then you realize, oh, yeah, like, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a small film, but by the production of it, you can't you can't tell that it's a small film. I'm amazed by what you made it for. Yeah. Thank, oh, thank you. Oh, it, you know, it took it took tre- a tremendous amount of effort from everybody. Sure. You, you know, the producer Eric, uh, the production designer, the cinematographer, just everybody, all, even down to the P- the PAs. You know, the, the sound girl, just makeup. Every everybody just really showed up every day. They were working for for pennies. And, um, you know, I couldn't have done it without them. It was just an incredible experience. And, and the sound, 
was so important oh. to the movie. You know, it was it was fantastic in this low budget movie, which, as you know, was very important with all the different sounds and the songs and the. So yeah, he wouldn't have known it. And if you have if you have a second, I can tell you a story about absolutely, that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, the the the, the, the film is about a, a sound designer, uh, but sound, uh, as you know, uh, exists on different levels in the film, right? Um, it, it's it's just so integral to the plot uh, and to the character. So I had hired someone to do the sound, right? And it was earlier this year they were supposed to start doing the sound. Uh, and I was already getting, because I had put the movie up on IMDb and I had had the website and so distributors, film distributors, you know, they, they kind of troll the IMDb and, you know, they do, they do their research and they find out what's in production, what's in post-production. And I was getting contacted by several distributors before the film was even done. And so that was, I was kind of feeling the pressure, like, oh my God, like we really have to finish this thing. COVID had kind of delayed it, right? So, so the original guy that was going to do the sound um, he, he kept pushing it back and I was like dude you gotta finish this I got people waiting for it I told them this is the date that I was trying to have it finished by he said no 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 I'm good I'm good I'm good I'm good and then he said I'm not good I got, oh, hired, no. on, yeah, I got hired on this other gig I'm gonna go do that and it was probably as close to despair as I've been I felt a lot of despair in that moment mm-hmm. when he, he belled on me and I got the sense of, like, this guy was just holding out for this other higher-paying job. And if he didn't get it, he would do my film. Uh, and But if he did get it, he was just going to, you know, just leave me twisting in the wind, so to speak, right? And so and so that happened. I, was, I found myself in March, which the distributors had wanted to see a screening by, uh, I think it was late May or June, which is not a lot of time, mm-hmm. right? So, so I found myself without someone to do the, the, the post sound. And that was the worst thing that could have happened to me that ended up being the best thing because in my, uh, you know, kind of being put in that position, I, I started, of course, searching for another uh, post sound supervisor who could do, do the job. And I found David Rodriguez at 19 Audio and you know of course he did the film for you know less than what he would normally get from his day job and he does a lot of network you know big network quality uh stuff you know for for uh, wb cw blah, blah blah and he just hit it out of the park he just he put he gave it the attention that it needed uh and i was there thinking oh my god like thank god this other guy belled on really really i'm almost i was almost grateful sure for, you know David came in and he really, he really, um, you know, gave it the attention that it deserved. Well, he did a great job. Tell him that. He, <laughs> again, I'm sure you have. <laughs> so before we let you go, why don't you uh, let everybody know one more time the movie and where we can see it? And oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's called Kindred. Uh, it's a play on the word kindred, but you spell it K-I-N space dread D-R-E-A-D. Uh, and it's available on Amazon Prime now, and it's also available on Tubi TV. So you don't have to pay anything. If you have Tubi TV, I'd rather you watch it on that because the payouts are bigger to the to the to the filmmakers from Tubi TV. But if all you have is Amazon, that's fine. Okay, okay. awesome. 
Thank you so much for doing it. We can't thank you enough. Absolutely. Well, thank you enough. Really, it was a pleasure. And uh, I enjoyed having a drink with you guys. Hey, well, one more time. Cheers to, to Kindred. Absolutely. What are you guys uh, drinking, by the way? They're just screwdrivers. Yeah. Nice. A lot of getting time. our health healthy vitamin C. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, for for a lot of the episodes, we'll try and theme a cocktail around it. But but for these, the interviews, we just kind of drink whatever we have, you know. So in the mood for yeah, yeah. So it's more about it's more about the interview tonight than it is about the cocktail. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great gig, you know, just having a drink and talking to people, you know. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And when we don't have anyone, we have drinks and just talk about to each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good. Right on, right on. And and Pat said he, he Pat said he had a great time with you guys. He's looking forward to talking to you guys again. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. We we've had terrific two nights in a row. This right. is this I is know. yeah. Can't I thank know. you guys enough. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll see if I can uh, talk to you know some other cast members for you guys. Yeah, if they're willing. I mean, you know, obviously no pressure on anybody, but we're we're certainly willing to talk to people. You know, so. You got it. Shout Absolutely. it out there as much as we can. Absolutely. You got it. All right. Well, thanks again. Have a good night. Amen. You too. Absolutely. Thank uh, you. Hope to see you again. All right. Thank you. Yes. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. The tavern is closed for now, but we'd love to have you back for more fun next time. Seriously, though, get your asses out of here. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. 